from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, and we're here to discuss Day Zero, What Happens When You've Been Hacked. Our guest this week is Robert Ottenreath with JNL's Consulting. And uh, Robert, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and let us all know why you're an expert we should trust on this topic. Yeah, absolutely, Brett. Thanks so much for having me on. As you know, you can imagine any organization, whether big or small, uh, has to deal with cyber issues these days. And so JNL's Consulting has done a ton of work with all different types of organizations to help them get through the scenario when they realize that their secure information and their customer information has been breached or touched or unfortunately um, taken in means that was not the way it was intended. And while that not only provides a scary situation for the business, it uh, can also be an expensive endeavor and also be a situation where uh, their brand can be damaged uh, forever if not handled appropriately. So looking at experts like us to come in and help them through not only understanding the awareness to provide to their customer base, the regulatory information that's provided or needed, and then also how do they get out the other end uh, as unscathed as possible and to save as much brand uh, as they can and put uh, information into a, a consumer's hands that makes them feel more comfortable about doing business with them in the future. So you're carrying a bat phone that could ring while we're recording this and you may have to go off and help one of your clients? That could actually be the case. When the signal hits the, uh, the airwaves or hits the, the light hits the, uh, the backdrop, uh, customers do need our help. And unfortunately, this used to be a scenario where you might have a, a young individual in their basement uh, with a know-how to break into databases. It's now become uh, something much larger and uh, government-sponsored. So anybody can be vulnerable at any time. So going through, let's help uh, the audience understand uh, some of the words we're going to use, some of the pieces of a cybersecurity incident. So you said data breach. Uh, going to and define that for our general listening audience. Sure. Really, any information that a business keeps on a customer or utilizes in order to provide transactions to a customer and any purchases really falls into that data or that information. And it can be as any as easy as somebody's name and address and their credit card number uh, down to even more pertinent information like their social security number or their telephone number or email address. All of that information is, is widely available and, and we provide that daily to businesses that we do business with. That information uh, falling into the wrong hands uh, can cause significant problems for customers and other individuals that didn't intend to have uh, their identity uh, out there in a way that could be detrimental to how they do business. So uh, data breach, when uh, someone who's not authorized to gain access to the information I've shared with a a business, whether it's my CPA or uh, my doctor or my financial institution, if someone who's not supposed to have that information gets access to it, that's a, a data breach. And, and data breaches are common now through cyber attacks. So um, if you, because you could have a data breach being somebody walking out with paper records as well. Correct. But these, these cyber attacks now seem to be the main source of 
uh, data breaches today. It's no longer a, a trash bag full of uh, paper documents. What's a, a cyber attack? A cyber attack is when a um, IT system, so the way that someone uses their purchasing system or their credit card systems uh, and the databases that hold that information um, have been accessed uh, in a way that, or through a vulnerability that was uh, left open, uh, either through network or through the uh, capabilities of uh, penetrating in the system that information is taken uh, and utilized in, uh, in ways that was never meant or intended to, to be used. So businesses uh, I've seen have found out about data breaches through a few different methods. So uh, one, the uh, authorities call them on the phone, letting them know that they've found a, a list of their customers and some of that, that data that shouldn't have been shared out there for sale on a, an internet uh, dark web market. So the authorities are out there scanning these things uh, and looking for it, and then they'll report back to the, the businesses. Uh, can you explain this just like kind of dark web information marketplaces? Sure, absolutely. So what you're referring to is the National Cyber Forensics Training Association, the NCFTA, and that is a database or information that uh, is placed by uh, federal authorities or other authorities who find things when they're out in the web. And what you're referring to is, is unfortunately, when information is taken, uh, it is sold uh, on the quote-unquote black market, on the black web for individuals to purchase identities and then utilize them for doing anything from um, breaching a credit card to uh, taking somebody's uh, tax refund. So another way that businesses will, will find out is that they show up and they come in to work in the morning and they actually see a pop-up on their computer screen that says, uh, welcome to CryptoLocker 2.0. Robert, you need to deliver 4.7 bitcoins to my blockchain address in the next 72 hours or we're deleting all your information. So uh, under this like real-time method where people now see that they've been ransomware and they find out about a data breach, this is another scenario. Can you kind of walk through sort of the, the difference between knowing you've been broken into um, because the hacker tells you directly versus finding out um, through a, another channel on how businesses react to that? Absolutely. Uh, I think probably both are scary, but the most scariest for a business is that scenario where you reference the ransomware. Uh, it's a situation or an uh, indication where uh, a hacker has um, come in through a vulnerability in the system and has uh, literally held data or information for ransom. Uh, looking for uh, money to either release or to provide uh, that, that data back. And uh, the entire business uh, in that instance really uh, becomes on lockdown. There's not much more you can do to service your customers. And of course, your entire focus pivots from you know, doing what you do daily uh, to, to build your business to how do we get this thing un un unlocked or unchained. The other that you had mentioned in the N NCFTA basis is something was taken and during an investigation where the federal authorities or others have been involved, they actually have come across that information and then provide that to you. So um, one is found uh, during other investigations. One is a right as a knock on your front door that says, um, thank you, we have it. And you know, once we're paid, we'll talk about giving it back. Yeah. And then uh, a third method, and uh, this came up on one of our other discussions, is uh, folks get a security audit of their systems. And in these instances, they find out that maybe they've actually had a hacker inside their network for days, weeks, or months. 
that hacker, they're not really sure at this point if they've taken information out of the, the network or not. Uh, does that one create a, a different reaction? Yeah, it actually does. It, I think that they are obviously a situation where you're, you're concerned and you're worried about those instances, but um, it's a scenario, I think, where you have, um, you're not being held hostage and it wasn't found somewhere else. So I think the thing that is we found with our clients that's most scary about that is you don't know who's been breached, how long they've been in, what information they have, and the vulnerabilities that you or that they have found in your system um, are now your responsibility to close. And then obviously with the regulatory information uh, that's provided today on customer awareness and notification, there's quite a bit of activity that needs now to go on to not only stop the bleeding and triage the situation to close any security holes, but also ensure that customers have been appropriately notified and that's been handled in a manner uh, that is uh, expedient towards what regulatory officials expect and what the laws now say. So uh, I think many in our audience may be familiar with the term patient zero from like an infectious disease spread and outbreak of either watching movies or working in the healthcare industry on that type of topic. You here just said that sometimes attackers get in, they, you don't know where they came from. Is there a, a cyber equivalent of trying to trace your way back to patient zero? If, if there is, what do you call that? Yeah, we, we really are just looking at triage from that basis and really stopping the bleeding. Um, a lot of times our clients have asked us to look at third party uh, folks to help uh, to come, experts that are really cyber experts that come in and, and really conduct vulnerability scans and penetration testing across their applications front end, across their databases back end, and really try to identify where those problems have occurred and more importantly, uh, how they close those those holes. But uh, I think you're absolutely correct. It's a situation where um, you know it needs to be addressed appropriately and it is very much in alignment with uh, how they look at infectious disease uh, out in the real world. So you have uh, this concept of incident response, and then you've mentioned a few other uh, penetration testing team or a vulnerability scanner um, as maybe a tool that penetration testing team uses. Can you go into a little more detail about what kind of, I guess that's a preventive test you could be doing hopefully before the hacker gets in, you hire someone to hack you? Right, exactly. And so there's a, a concept of called white hats and black hats, and black hats are folks that usually are those that are going to uh, not do uh, nice things on your network where white hats will come in and actually find where you possibly have holes either in your application or in code that you've written uh, that is enacted on the systems themselves or maybe even holes in the databases uh, that will then partner and work with your organization to help find those holes and then work with you to to close those breaches. Um, I think what we found with a lot of our clients is the amount of investment that they want to put forward because usually there's not a huge ROI or return on investment in security type uh, mechanisms is really done after uh, a breach has occurred. So they uh, unfortunately find it can be a little bit more expensive uh, after the fact than before uh, due to the fact that they are um, having to do a uh, emergency uh, room triage per se versus a scenario where they're looking at it ahead of time. Yeah, so this is one where yeah, it's, I guess, from a, working with our doctors, it's much uh, more cost-effective if we all go and get our regular annual physicals and checkups and follow the diet and exercise instructions versus we just keep going along eating what we want to eat, and eventually we show up in the uh, emergency room needing some major surgery. 
the same thing, I guess you're saying folks uh, do those type of activities from time to time on their business cybersecurity. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it, Brent, actually, that if you look at a wellness program for your infrastructure is very similar to a wellness program for your health. You want to ensure that you're taking the necessary steps to work through any of those uh, issues that you might have so that you're not sitting in the ER um, uh, looking for an opportunity and, and having to open your wallet further than what you might want to. And you're listening to CyberTalk Radio on 1200 WAI. I'm here with Robert Ottenreath, and this week we are talking about incident response. What happens on day zero when you have a data breach and the hackers are inside? So uh, over the, the course of the last couple of years, there have been a number of high-profile data breaches. These have all now become public record. Um, and I would love, I think the audience would love to hear kind of the expert opinion about how each of these were handled and what could have gone better, what was handled properly, um, and, and what should they expect in the event that another company that they're a customer of has a breach. So uh, there was one, this uh, I think happened during the holiday shopping season or just before the holiday shopping season at Target. Uh, so uh, credit card data, not credit card data, can you kind of walk us through uh, your, your view on what happened there at Target? Sure. What you find, I think, in both looking at the business side and also a consumer side is you have a scenario where information was taken. Consumers are starting to receive letters at their homes to let them know that the scenario had occurred. And then at that point, you're starting to panic a little. Who has my information? Should I be concerned? What do I do? And unfortunately, the way that Target handled that breach, there was quite a bit of information that was not consistent and the messaging was really, really skittish. So one day it was it was a small breach, not to worry, everybody's okay. The next day it was, wow, this was a pretty large breach. And unfortunately, there wasn't a consistent message or just the facts being produced to the consumer. So at home, I received my letter and I'm thinking, not a big deal. And then all of a sudden I'm watching the local news and find out, wait, this is a really big deal. How worried should I be? At that point, I'm gonna pick up the phone that the letter has given me a phone number to contact and unfortunately the phone just continued to ring and ring. The business did not take the necessary time and opportunity to get the capacity necessary to handle the large amount of phone calls that would come in because the messaging was off from consumers that were obviously concerned. So if you're a, a large business, part of this incident response is not only a cyber technical team, but it could be making sure that your call centers have adequate capacity to handle a a peak event that's going to be above and beyond what the normal type of daily call volume would be for item exchanges or returns or whatnot. Absolutely. And what we found with a lot of our clients as well is that their ability to look to say outsourcing that capacity, my team knows about clothing, my team doesn't know about security breaches, my team can only handle so many phone calls, other third-party contact centers can handle larger phone calls. At that time, for that size of a breach, it's it's time to get help. And there are many companies out there that can assist with those type of things, making sure your messaging is clean, making sure your mail-outs are done, making sure there's capacity to handle those phone calls, and that more importantly, your customers will not only appreciate the information, the transparency, but that they'll want to do business with you again. If you look at the target situation, you had executives that lost their jobs, 
You have folks that said they wouldn't shop there again, and their brand may have been damaged for good, not because of the incident itself, but because of how the incident was handled. So there was uh, another breach that um, I know as we kind of talked during the, the break a little bit was handled uh, better from your perspective was at Home Depot. So still not good. Hackers got in. Hackers got a, a, the access to a bunch of information and have done who knows what with it. But the, the team there did a, a better job? A much better job. The executive team rallied around the concept of what they saw that did not go well at Target, went out and, and hired a third-party group to actually assist them. Probably the smartest thing they did. The messaging was very clear and concise. The information that was produced out to the media was also clear and concise. It was just the facts that had happened at that point. Capacity that was um, aligned to take care of the phone calls were I called as a consumer and someone answered the phone. I wasn't upsold into a different product. I was given the right information and the help I needed at the time that I needed it. And more importantly, as I felt like I was taken care of as a consumer, I think what you'll find from that basis of being able to handle messaging capacity, fraud investigation if that's needed, and then to be able to put that brand back on the forefront of, of the, the, the consumer's mind is critical. Home Depot was in and out of the news in a relatively short period of time. Target continued to linger, and that's really as an executive team. The last thing you want is something to continue to linger in the press. It just draws the brand down and, and really kind of drags it into the mud. And what you're really wanting to do is, is show the transparency and handle things appropriately. So you, you mentioned something uh, that caught my ear as you were going through this. So you, I'm calling in, say I got that letter from some, somebody who's been breached, and I'm calling in, and the letter it says, you call this number to get a year of basic credit watch monitoring. It sounds like for one of the folks there, I called in and the person that answered the phone and said, hi, Brett, you're entitled to a year of credit watch basic. Would you like to pay $69.99 for credit watch premium? Yeah, unfortunately, what happens is the companies themselves that have been breached make a decision on the packages that they would purchase to help their customers. So if they purchase packages to help those customers that are lesser than what the individuals uh, feel they should receive or the consumers should receive, there was a situation where there was an upsell. So you can understand, you think about this as a consumer. You've had a scenario where you've been breached, your data and information is out. You've been given a letter, you contact someone, you can't get them on the phone. When you finally do, they tell you that it's an opportunity for you to really be protected is to pay more. So. I think any of us would look at that scenario and say, I'm not sure that once I get this cleared that I'm interested in doing business with this company anymore. Yeah. So, and we've been talking about credit card data, and if you all have listened to the program on a regular basis, there's uh, credit card data is the type of data that um, you can get out a pair of scissors, you can cut it up, you can call your bank, and you can get a new one with a brand new credit card number. Uh, then there's other data like your healthcare records. So this is uh, information that's going to be permanent forever. I mean, your mother's maiden name is never going to change to another mother's maiden name. Your birth date is going to be your birth date from now until the end of time. Um, Social security numbers, you can go get a new one if you really have to, but that's much more complicated than getting a, a new credit card number. And inside of a medical record, all of that type of information is maintained. Uh, so in the event of a, a medical record insurance agency breach, so there was um, Anthem over this past year as well, I think, had an issue where a number of uh, medical records or 
the Office of Personnel Management um, in the federal government had uh, one where there was a lot of that permanent information, birth dates. I, I guess maybe even in the Yahoo attack recently contained birth dates if any of us actually gave Yahoo our real birthday. Absolutely true. And there really is different types of data breaches. And not only from a consumer perspective, but also business perspective, you have to be in, in tune or, or aware of what that is. Without a doubt, if my social security number and my birthday, or even worse, my child's social security number or birthday gets out, it's something to be uh, concerned about. And as standard practice, really credit monitoring is a reactive base. So looking into opportunities of doing fraud alerting, as an example, which you can actually go out to the credit unions, or credit bureaus, excuse me, and let them know that while you're interested in continuing to allow creditors to see your credit information, you want them to take extra steps to contact you to ensure that when any account is being opened, you're aware of that account being opened. And so consumer companies as well as business-to-business companies will provide those type of services and fraud alerts are free of charge. Most consumers don't know they can do these things at no cost. It helps to really lock down scenarios where you would have information that's breached that could then come back and, and be a real problem. What we've seen with a lot of our clients is when they look for a third-party group to help them with messaging and also with capacity and other things, is that they truly have fraud investigators that are licensed that assist with those situations. So that if somebody does have a breach and their information is taken and their information is used, that someone can help them through that basis versus just thanking them for their, their interest or their insight and, and not being able to take that next step for them. Yeah. So in, in that medical style breach, it, are there things that Anthem needed to do different? Did they handle theirs well? Yeah, Anthem did a tremendous job as well too and found an organization that can really help them through that, that baseline. I think one of the things that Anthem did that, that really took it to the next level is they realized that individuals when they have their data that's taken or their personal information is taken, it doesn't just go away in one year. So being able to offer that in longer term plans and more importantly then saying, you know, anyone that comes into our networks, whether they're Blue Cross, Blue Shield or others, let's offer that as a standard benefit. So we can give credit monitoring just like we give health insurance as a benefit and being able to have that offered so that that extends that capability and really gives folks uh, some peace of mind uh, as they move forward with that organization. Again, the real focus for an organization is the brand, but more importantly from the consumer, it's I feel like I've been violated. How do I ensure that that doesn't happen again? And more importantly, that I feel like there's been some transparency and I'm taken care of so that I feel comfortable about doing business with these companies. Yeah, so you, you've you ref, uh, referenced on each of these scenarios that they've brought in experts they didn't have on staff. And we're talking about three of the largest enterprises in the world and they don't have an incident response team inside of their company that is capable of handling these things. And it's this is not abnormal. This is a situation normal. There's a small number of expert teams out there across the world that can really handle these large-scale data breaches. Uh, for a, a small business, they're definitely not going to have an incident response team on staff I mean, what number do they even dial? Where do they go to figure this out? Because if you, you come in and you get that ransom letter from the hacker, uh, what's step one for those folks? Yeah, step one would be, I think, that they need to ensure that um, there's legitimacy to it. Check first to ensure that that really is the case, that the ransomware has gone through or that you're not unable to get your data. If you find that's the case, then um, contact 
someone in the industry is, is really helpful. Our group is one that can help. There's others that are out there as well, but you look for IT cybersecurity specialists um, and you can find them on, on the web. You can Google that term and be able to come up with folks. I think you can describe the scenario. It's very important to ensure that um, the individuals that you bring in are, are professionals and uh, in mutual non-disclosure agreements and things are signed with the businesses to ensure that they're, they're doing the right things and keeping things in, in, in the right spec. But it is a scenario where a lot of times these individuals do need help. Um, I do a, a bicycle shop and I sell you know, bicycles. I, I'm, I'm not a cybersecurity expert. I really need someone that is, that can help me with this. And while it may not seem like um, it's a very serious situation because I'm a small business, um, the way that regulatory laws have been written, it's a serious business if somebody's consumer data has been breached. So after our bottom of the hour break, we'll be back with Robert and we will be talking through a hypothetical scenario. So if uh, you do get breached and you listen to the next half hour of our program, you may be able to have step one of incident response handled yourself. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, 20-year internet security veteran. We're here with Robert Ottenry of JNL's Consulting, and we're talking day zero, what happens when you get hacked, and how to handle a data breach. Uh, before the break, we went through a lot of the industry terms, uh, the things that you need to know to understand uh, the context and things around this. Um, the rebroadcast will be available uh, via iTunes and uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com the Tuesday following our program here on Saturday night. This half of the hour, we're going to go through a hypothetical scenario. I'm going to pretend I'm the IT manager for a, a 5,000 patient medical group, and I believe I've been hacked, and I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call you, Robert, and we're going to find out how you handle the first 20 minutes of a data breach. Sounds great. Cool. So, ring, ring. Good day. Uh, hi, uh, Robert. I'm Brett with the IT Medical Group, and I believe that uh, we've been hacked. I got into the, the office this morning, and there's uh, a pop-up window on my computer, um, and it looks like there's a file transfer thing going on in the, the background there. Uh, when I, I saw the, the window on there and it looked like it was copying the data off to some IP address somewhere um, on the internet. So I unplugged our, our office server um, and I, I searched around on my phone and, and found your number. Well, I appreciate you calling. Uh, Brent, how, how large do you think uh, this, this breach is? How long has this been going on in uh, your estimation? Did you see it yesterday or did you just come into it today? I, I came in. Um, it's... Uh, Monday right now, um, so I don't know when it started. Uh, I checked the server generally uh, before leaving the office on Fridays. I didn't see anything weird going on there, but I don't know if it happened right after we left on Friday or, or when something started, but there was uh, stuff on there going this morning that, that didn't look right. Okay, and you were good to unplug the, the server and un unplug any of the network connectivity to that. You want to make sure that that's the case and that that's not transferring. Um, how many individuals, or when you look at the data that you actually have, how many um, customers or, or uh, patients is, is the, the size of your data in, in 
basically when you're looking at the number of individuals that could be affected by this type of a situation. So we've got about 5,000 active patients right now, and I don't know how many patients we have over the last uh, 10 years, but this server's got uh, all of our, it's our office uh, practice management server. It's got all of our, our customer uh, records on it um, from the, the last 10 years. Okay. Have you had any instant, did you have any insight that this might happen? Did you recently fire an employee or did you have any, any warning from anything or anybody about uh, interesting emails, any phishing scams, anything that you've seen recently that's come to light? Um, like the phishing scam, like the, the, the Nigerian prince asking me for something or what do you mean? Yeah, more like an email that comes to you that indicates a, an invite to a party or something that's occurred uh, where you need to open up a, a, a link that they've provided to you and that would give you uh, an, an opportunity to, to, to expose your data or insight uh, of your IT systems to someone outside of the organization. Um, I, I don't know. We, we use um, some hosted mail service that was put in place before I was the, the IT manager here. Uh, I don't, I'm not even sure what kind of... Um, I know we've got virus checking on the attachments, but I don't know what else it does. Okay. Brett, it's probably a good idea that we look to see about getting an expert in to assist you guys with this. It's going to be important that we have somebody that actually can take an opportunity to see where you might have a vulnerability and start to work through the process of, of getting not only the uh, file transfer stopped and find out exactly how large and how uh, deep this is occurring, uh, but more importantly is to work towards getting you back to uh, doing business as usual. So my recommendation would be is that we need to get somebody in to start with that will help you kind of stem the bleeding and ensure that we've locked down the opportunity of any additional files to be transferred or things from that perspective. Um, we can help on getting you somebody from, from that basis. After we have that done, it's going to be really important for us to, uh, once the triage is stopped and when the bleeding is stopped, to sit down and really do a postmortem from this basis. It's really to kind of find out the who, what, where, when, why, and how of what's been occurring um, and any information that you guys have had or any insight that you've had previously for we can look at uh, what needs to be done for now and also into the future to even stop capabilities of a breach happening. But more importantly is what process and procedures do we need to put in place uh, to ensure that that um, doesn't happen again. Now, what we do also need to find out is of the individuals or the pieces that have occurred where there has been possible data that's been lost, uh, meaning patient records have been taken, um, there are regulatory rules that, ne that necessitate that you contact those patients and give them insight that you may have been uh, as part of a breach and then start to look at opportunities of being able to handle that scenario, meaning that you need to look at capacity, mail-outs, things that give them the ability to, to look at some services uh, that protect them in the future. Um, when you look at the records or the main information that you have of your records, do you have separate files or information that you can access that have patient record information as far as addresses and names and things are concerned? So this, this practice management server has um, all of our appointment data. Uh, it has all of the um, services that uh, a customer's a patient had had on the um, visit. So it'll show that you came in for a, a general health checkup or they got a, they had a knee injury and they got a, an x-ray for their knee. So um, all of that information is in there. Their insurance information is is in there as well because we, we tie this system into our billing for insurance reimbursement. Um, and then the, the system also uh, ties into our credit card processing for where we, we take the co-pays. 
Um, and then the, I guess it, it ties all uh, back into to our bank so that we can reconcile the financial statements so we can produce um, invoices for people that um, have balances and, and those pieces up. So Robert, real quick though, so I'm, we're talking now, I've, I've um, got patients that are gonna start coming into the office here in about um, an hour. How do I plug the server back in so that my the staff today can work and we can uh, see the patients and they can do the things like billing and make sure that the appointments are coming in and, and make the phone calls for tomorrow's reminders? Yeah, we may wanna stop at this point to be honest because that's, that's really gonna be an issue. Um, Turning this thing back on is dangerous at this point. And I understand you have business as usual. You may need to go to paper and pen uh, for, for perspective to, to start with for today. Um, and billing records and things that you have are, are going to be hard to access. Um, I, would highly not, I would highly recommend that you not turn that server back on until you have an expert take a look at it and, and be able to get back into uh, to, to get it to a point where you know that file transferring and other things are not occurring. But if, I guess if the, the hackers already have everything, shouldn't, I mean, like, if, can't we just do business today? It's not a good idea to do that. You also need to necessitate phone calls out to your banks and let them know that this is a situation that might occur. You don't want funds being transferred out of your accounts. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on your end. Um, these are going to be some long nights um, for you to, to fully prepare and, and get yourself back to, to square one. Uh, I would highly recommend not plugging the server back in, not accessing the network, and and really going off of paper records uh, as it stands for today and until you can get uh, the all clear. Now, the bottom line would be is that you can get a individual into the, uh, secured individual into the accounts today and start working through things, but I think it's gonna be a really tough next 48 to 72 hours and my recommendation is to, to do that. So this is, I, I guess, this is not something that, like you can't just tell me to go download some software on the internet and just clean my server and sweep it and then I, I I don't tell my boss about this. I mean, I, I guess I need to tell the doctors today that that the stuff that they do with their iPads and all that's not going to work. Yeah, and, and in this instance, it's important that you do. Um, you need to be very transparent, not only with the business, but also with your customers. I think more importantly, it's important that they know that this is a serious situation and that customer records may have actually been been taken. And, and with HIPAA compliance and with PHI information being possibly floated around, um, it's best to ensure that not only you're contacting your superiors, but also I would say your legal team needs to be aware and possibly even your PR team. We, we, we'll, we don't have a, a PR team. I don't know even what um, our, our doctors do for, um, um, like we don't have the general counsel. We're a, a small medical group. Sure. Um, so what we need to do first is, is you need to call an all hands on deck meeting with your superiors and with the doctors. We need to get them informed on what's occurring and what's happening. We need to immediately look at getting some security uh, help and assistance in and really try to stem the bleeding. And that's really the first phase in what you're looking at. So unfortunately, the iPads won't be working today, and I don't recommend you turn that server back on until you have the opportunity of really ensuring uh, that you're cleaned. Uh, well, I, I think if I tell them this, they're probably just going to fire me. Can I give you their phone number and have you call them? Or, or I mean, what do we, what do, we do here? I think I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, your best bet is, and, and, and I, I completely understand, this is definitely one of those scenarios that you don't expect coming in on a Monday morning. Um, it's probably best that we do sit down. Um, if you'd like me to come in, we can talk about what that would look like. But sit down and have a, a main conversation about what has occurred, um, what our next steps are, and what are some really important things to do to ensure that 
um, lawsuits and other things are, are, are not part of what the future looks like, but more importantly, transparency on what's happened, how we clean this up, and, and not to allow uh, additional files to be transferred is, is critically important for right now. And you're listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. I'm here with Robert Ottenreath of JNL's Consulting, and we are working through the scenario what happened when a 5,000 patient smaller medical group had a data breach. I'm the fictional IT manager, and Robert is doing what Robert does every day. We left off where uh, I had wanted to plug the server back into the internet so we could run our office. Uh, Robert was uh, not real happy with me, told me it was not a good idea. Uh, so we've now brought him into the office and we're, we're digging in to find out uh, just how we've been breached, uh, where it came from, and what we can do next. So next steps after being involved with the organization and calming down some of the executives and doctors on, on how they're going to have to handle business and what they're going to be doing moving forward, it's really important to start to look at if we can stem the bleeding and figure out where the stuff has, has occurred, the vulnerabilities have occurred. Really the next big piece is we need to be very transparent and start to contact customers and, and patients about what's happened. And knowing that medical records um, have basically been taken, um, there's all kinds of information that might be uh, that might be breached. Yeah. Most so let's, uh, I mean, going through from the uh, attack, so let's say that we track this attack back to uh, one of the, the um, office computers and someone there had been browsing the internet and they had gone to a, a what they thought was a reputable website. This was a normal news website. Uh, but those normal news websites uh, sometimes have what they call ad networks on it. So sometimes the advertisements on those sites are not things that come just from that site itself, but they uh, pull it in from a, a content farm where those folks, they sell real estate on their website just like you'd sell advertising space in a, in a magazine. Uh, sometimes those ads can maintain or have in them what they call a drive-by attack. So um, let's say that in their scenario here today that one of the office computers, they were browsing what they thought was a reasonable website, a drive-by malware download went into the computer, the attacker got into that office computer first, then eventually into the server, and then was file transferring um, all of the, the database files off of that server, and that's where the IT manager had... Uh, uncovered that, unplugged the server, and picked up the phone to call you. Mm -hmm. At that point, it's it's a lot of times there's IP addresses that go with those sites, and so being able to blacklist that IP address and being able to close down that vulnerability is, is what's really absolutely critical. Um, I know that that's the work that they would be doing is look and saying also is um, what else has been impacted or infected. It could be just a single file transfer. It also could be something much major, much more major if they've gone through the office computers. So being able to address those vulnerabilities and to, and to shut those capabilities down. And then it also might even go back to a policy that you have in the in the office of how are we going to actually use um, our, our etiquette in, in browsing, using browsers or in searching uh, for certain um, pieces of information. So a lot of times you don't want to restrict your, your you know, uh, the culture within your organization, but you also want to be safe. So it's being able to look at those pieces and, and being able to not only stem the bleeding, but start to look at how we handle that moving forward. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's options for them to put in a, a web content filtering solution, but as you, you go out in your day-to-day -day life, how often do you see folks with um, web content filtering and, in, and 
kind of comprehensive inbound outbound content filtering today. Yeah, it's, it's pretty infrequent to be honest. And, and so a, a lot of folks are not aware of that um, or more importantly is they haven't had a situation where they've had to utilize it. So while there are appliances and other capabilities that are out there and they're recommended once that occurs, um, most folks don't, don't do that until there is a situation that, that calls for it. Yeah. And while folks, uh, I think a lot of people have uh, some type of software on their computer they, they've got maybe one layer of protection. They've got a, an antivirus software. They've upgraded from the antivirus to the anti-malware one. Um, and what we've seen over time is that attackers will write things specifically to break that antivirus or anti-malware software, specifically to bypass it in their part of their attack. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely correct. And, and so the... Hackers get more and more sophisticated and, and know bypass capabilities as the appliances come out, as the software comes out. So um, I think real good policy and procedure as well as um, being aware of that those things can occur is, is what's critically important. You can, you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars on, on um, thwarting and still run into situations where that, that happens. So you just have to be very smart within the organization and, and ensure that not only are you doing everything you can to shore up any vulnerabilities, um, prior to them happening, but more importantly, have smart policies of individuals that are working within your organization and, and go through that process of informing them and training them and explaining why that this happened. The individual that allowed that to occur or clicked on that link didn't intend to do the damage that was done. And so ensuring that that doesn't happen again is what a critical part of a postmortem would be. Yeah. So you're going through doing a, a full scan of all the systems because you weren't really certain where the attacker went after they got in. We know they at least traversed two two systems. Um, you also just mentioned it sounds like security awareness training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for uh, different regulated levels of agencies now, I, I don't know, do small medical practices have to do a regular security awareness training? I think under the current HIPAA high tech now they do. They do. And, and so it's, it's, and it's because of the fact that the breaches have gotten more frequent and that they're um, unfortunately not situations that happen uh, infrequently. So, and then to get this server itself back up and, and online, uh, so, I mean, am I looking at having to probably reinstall the whole server and do a, a data restoration, or can we go in and just um, use a, a one of those um, anti-malware cleaner things and clean it up and then plug it back in and put it back online? Yeah, the, the suggestion would probably be to do a full, uh, just re-image the server itself and start from scratch. Um, it's a scenario where you really want to cover all the bases and not uh, assume that just because you have an anti-malware that that's going to be what takes care of it. So the suggestion would be is to is really start from the basics and start from the ground up. Yeah. So going through it, this uh, kind of technical analysis, technical postmortem, does this usually happen in the first day? Does it take a week? Does it take a month? What we usually look to do with our clients is ensure once the, the, the bleeding has stopped is that we start that immediately. Um, a lot of things that have occurred are very fresh in, in the individuals who have worked on that breach in their mind. And it's critically important to have those um, come out at that point in time. So um, I think one of the things I would also say is it's very important to take a blameless approach. You know, the individual that caused the problem or individuals that caused the problem didn't mean for that to happen. And the blame game is not going to get us down the road into finding the solutions of what needs to happen and, more importantly, put the right process and procedures in place. I also would highly recommend as a facilitator that does these that you include the individual that caused the problem 
not disclude them. And it's because of the fact that they can help. They feel a lot better to be able to be involved in helping with the solution, um, knowing that they probably have done or have been the, the cause of, of what's occurred. Yeah. So uh, from that, that moment on Monday morning there, where we found out the server had a problem, data has gone out. Uh, it, we've what's if I'm going to do a good job how soon am I communicating to my customers and business partners about this breach what we've seen in what regulatory states in essence is is you have between three to five days to let them know to notify them that there's something that's occurred so the first step that we look at is it really is messaging how do we want to package that and even if I don't have general counsel I'm probably going to look to get some insight and maybe even hire some general counsel around this um, it's important that you're not leaving yourself open to lawsuits or litigation and that you're being as transparent as you can from, from that, that baseline and right out of the gate. So what we look at is that 72 hours after something that's happened and we triage and we've now got the bleeding stopped, it's important to start to notify our, our customers or more importantly our medical customers that uh, there's been a scenario and a situation. And then you need to look at opportunities of how are you going to stem that because a regular 5,000 person office is not going to have the, uh, the means as far as resources are concerned, usually human resources, in order to handle uh, a barrage of phone calls or, or emails or, or drive-bys of people coming in and saying, hey, you know, am, am I part of this? What should I do? So uh, how often do these, uh, I mean, the, the big Fortune 500 level breaches seem to end up in the news. How often do these smaller uh, ones end up in the news where you're now um, not only um, being able to kind of uh, control the communication flow and the timing of communication, now you have um, inbound requests to handle that you you didn't initiate. Yeah, I think what you see is, is probably less than the enterprise, but the bottom line is, is that if something, and usually it's an incident that occurs, so somebody's information that was stolen um, ends up being a, a, a larger piece of, of some kind of a story that ends up driving that to be in the, in the news. I don't think any medical center or any medical group wants to be the front page of the Wall Street Journal or the New York Post. So um, it's probably best to address that appropriately and do uh, the necessary um, things to ensure that it's being handled, uh, even though it may not end up on the front page of the paper. And so we've, we've got the disclosure requirements out to our, our customers, our patients. Uh, what disclosure obligations, say I, I have um, equipment loans in my medical practice, uh, if I bought some machinery, do I need to notify my um, lender that I've been data breached? Usually not from that perspective. Usually the most important thing is that, that customers are, are part of that. Banks and your, your financial institutions need to also be part of that notification process. Um, usually that you've got lenders that have lent you equipment or things of that effect. Unless they're directly impacted, there's not a scenario where they need to necessarily be um, proactively uh, in, in, in form. Yeah. And then my um, my general liability insurance or my malpractice insurance, do either of those help me out here? Can I just make a claim, pay my deductible, and, and let you sort the rest of this out for me? Usually not. So what you're looking at is there is cybersecurity insurance um, that should be purchased or that could be purchased. So what you'll find is a lot of times that your E&O and things don't cover that. In essence, it's, it's a scenario where it's a different uh, level of claim. And so there's a scenario where the cost may actually come out of pocket, which could be detrimental to bottom line if, if it's not handled appropriately. So when you say detrimental to bottom line, if, if I have 
5,000 active patients, and maybe over the last decade we, we have medical records for 30,000 individuals. Does that end up costing me $300, $10,000, $100,000? What, what kind of budget range am I looking at, at having to spend to clean this up? You know, usually what you can do is, is looking at getting third-party assistance for that to help with capacity, to help with those, those pieces. So mail-outs that need to be done, capacity needs to be done, and you're buying it in a range or a scale. Um, I think you can make the determination after the technology review of how much exposure did you actually have. And you're going to need to make the decision there. It can be as cheap as about 25 cents an individual to handle all the way up to a couple of dollars per individual um, if you're looking for a full range of services. So that doesn't sound terrible. How quick can I make this all happen, though? So you said I've got three to five days to get some notification. Can I be done in a week and, and back to my normal practice, or is this going to impact my business for a while? Uh, it, it, it's going to impact your business for, for a little while, unfortunately. What you usually can, can do is... Um, you want to get notification out as quickly as possible. At that point, if you have gone to a third party to assist you with these things, you can go pretty much business as usual because you're handing off the responsibility of handling the phone calls, of looking at breach information provided as looking at other pieces for them, including some fraud investigation if that's the case. Um, but you will have to continue to be impacted or, or, or in, involved, I should say, in what's actually occurring. Usually a breach is very much like a, a bell curve. So you have a lot of activity at first, and then things tailor off from, from that basis. I think it's, it's easy to say that somewhere between a three- to six-week period, you would see um, um, a, a hands-on approach of not all individuals within your organization, not the doctors as an example, uh, but others in IT and other, other, other parts of the organization that would have to be in, involved. Thank you very much for joining us on CyberTalk Radio, Robert. We've discussed Day Zero. What happens after you've been data breached? This has been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Brother.